This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Vermont discussing a teenager who disappeared after the night shift. Then, we will tell you a story of a young mother who was abducted in front of her child. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Green Mountain State. According to the National Missing and Unidentified Persons Database, more than 600,000 persons of all ages go missing every year and approximately 4,400 unidentified bodies are recovered every year. Fortunately, the vast majority of missing persons cases are resolved relatively quickly. However, there are still more than 17,000 missing persons cases and 13,000 unidentified body cases that remain open in the United States. There are countless reasons why people go missing. Some leave on purpose. Maybe they want to escape an abusive situation or want to leave a troubling past behind. There are, of course, more troubling reasons that some may vanish without a trace. Kidnapping, sex trafficking, and sometimes murder. Dr. Michael Mantell, former head psychologist for the San Diego Police Department, says that constant spattering of abduction and murder cases on cable news and in magazines desensitizes us the horror of these crimes. Instead of being a tragedy, every new case is an exciting adventure for those who experience it secondhand. Like in the case of Maura Murray, we made her into an enigmatic ingenue and forgot the victim in the process. It is human nature to be interested in true crime, cold cases, and missing persons. There isn't anything wrong with that. However, it sometimes is easy to get lost in the mystery of it all. I stumbled across an article written in 2015 by a then high schooler by the name of McKenna Hendrickson. She wrote about the disappearance of Maura Murray, but my case today does parallel Maura's. McKenna ended her article with a gentle reminder that we could all use from time to time. She wrote this, We should never forget that behind every piece of true crime, someone was grievously harmed. Our attraction to stories like that of Maura Murray should always be equal to our sympathy for her. Brianna Alexandra Maitland, who was often just called Brie or B, was born in Burlington, Vermont on October 8, 1986, to parents Bruce and Kelly Maitland. Brianna had an older brother, and she grew up on a farm in East Franklin, Vermont, so this is not too far away from the Canadian border. She was known for being spontaneous, independent, and very trusting of others. She loved to read, but had also trained for several years in jiu-jitsu. So I wasn't sure what the difference was between this and karate. Do you know? Jiu-jitsu and karate? Mm-hmm. Um, no. But, fun fact, Dr. Andrews is all into jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu specifically? I think so. Oh, interesting. So, jiu-jitsu is grappling, while other arts are striking. Karate has a focus on punching and hand-based strikes, and taekwondo focuses on kicking combinations. Jiu-jitsu is all about subduing an opponent or aggressor. Like... What do you mean? Kind of like someone's coming at you, how to hold them off or... Um, Rather than kind of like fight them, you're just defense, trying to keep... Defense, I guess. Okay, okay, yeah. I once took a Muay Thai kickboxing oh. self-defense class for women 
Oh, that's cool. I mean, I just did one class because then that night I came home and fell down my stairs and <laughs> tore my rotator cuff. Oh, no. So I couldn't go back, but I made it through it. It was oh, fun. Gosh. I still remember some of the moves. Oh, that's neat. So if you come at me, I'm going to take you down. Yeah, I feel like jujitsu, as hard as it, it is for me to say, it seems like it would be something really good to know. Sure. For self-defense. So in October 2003... On her 17th birthday, Brianna decided she wanted to leave the family farm and be closer to her friends. So they lived about 15 miles away and attended a different high school. Her parents were not thrilled about her wanting to leave the farm, but she had always been super independent. She ended up enrolling in her friend's high school and living there with friends. She kind of bounced around to a few different places and didn't really stay anywhere for long. So just four months later, in February of 2004, she decided to drop out of high school, and she moved in with her childhood friend named Jillian Stout in Sheldon, Vermont. So that's approximately 20 miles west of Montgomery. She still wanted to complete her education, and she eventually wanted to attend college part-time, so she enrolled in a GED program. To support herself, Brianna was working two jobs. She was a dishwasher at the Black Lantern Inn, a local bed and breakfast in Montgomery, and as a waitress at KJ's Diner in St. Albans, Vermont. On the morning of Friday, March 19, 2004, Brianna took an exam to receive her GED, and she passed. To celebrate, she and her mom Kelly had lunch. Her dad Bruce was out of state working in New York, so he couldn't go, but she was in pretty good spirits. She was happy she passed. She was discussing plans of attending college. She was telling her mom all about this. So when they finished lunch, they spent the rest of the afternoon shopping and running other errands. While they were in line at one store, her mom Kelly noticed that something outside caught Brianna's eye. She told her mom she'd be right back. So she left the store and went outside. Kelly finished checking out and met back with Brianna in the parking lot. Immediately, she noticed something wasn't right with Brianna. She seemed kind of shaken and agitated. Her mom didn't want to be nosy, and Brianna was very independent, so she didn't ask her what was wrong. Mm -mm, I'm asking all the questions. What happened? Why are you acting weird? She might have been afraid that would start an argument or a whole thing, and she just didn't want to pry in hindsight, you know? She told her mom she needed to go home so she could get ready for her shift at the Black Lantern Inn that evening. So she dropped Brianna off between 3.30 and 4 p.m. Before Brianna left for work, she left a note for her friend and roommate Jillian, letting her know that she'd be back after work that night. Then she took off for work in her 1985 Oldsmobile sedan that was registered to her mom, Kelly. After an uneventful shift was over, she left the Black Lantern Inn at approximately 11.20 p.m. During her shift, she didn't make or receive any calls. She didn't have any visitors. Uneventful night. Her co-workers were trying to get her to go out with them that night, but she told them she wanted to go home and go to sleep. She was waitressing the next day at her second job, and, you know, she just wanted some rest. So she got into her car and left the parking lot. So this specific weekend, Jillian, her roommate, went to visit her family. Brianna didn't know that at the time. But anyway, Jillian didn't see the note that Brianna had left until she returned that Monday. Well, Brianna wasn't there, so she just assumed, oh, maybe she ended up going to her parents' house or something like that. Maybe she's crashing with someone else for some reason. Well, it wasn't until the next day she called Brianna's mom, Kelly, to see if maybe Brianna went by there. No, Brianna was not there. She had not been there all weekend, 
So now her mom, Kelly, is worried. So she started calling all of Brianna's friends and her employers. No one had seen her since Friday. She knew something was wrong, so she filed a missing persons report. That's got to be just the worst feeling as a parent, having to go into a police station and Mm -hmm. tell them that your child's missing. And she didn't even realize it until three days. That's that's a significant it really is. amount of time when someone's missing. Mm-hmm. Well, little did Kelly know, in the meantime, on Saturday, the day after she went missing, March 20th, a Vermont state trooper was dispatched to an old abandoned house on Route 118 in Richmond, Vermont, just a mile away from where she worked at the Black Lantern Inn. It was here that they found Brianna's Oldsmobile, backed up into the side of the house. So this was an old, abandoned, boarded-up house, locally known as the Old Dutchburn House, and the rear of the car had made contact with the house. But it was really odd. Um, I've seen pictures of it, and I'll link these up, but it's almost as if someone was slowly backing into the house. It crashed into it, but not aggressively. The siding around it's damaged, and there's some minor damage to the rear bumper, and the rear wheel was raised up on the house. But it's not like someone just slammed into it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It just is really weird. A piece of the plywood from one of the windows was lying on her car's trunk. The trooper peeked into the window and saw two unopened paychecks on the front seat, some loose change, a water bottle, and an unsmoked cigarette. The doors were all unlocked, but the keys were missing. Inside the car, he found some of her clothes, makeup, contact lenses, her driver's license, and her migraine medication. So the trooper's first thought is, this is an abandoned car. Someone was drunk driving, mm-hmm. hit this, called someone, or and left. or someone yeah. picked them up, something like that. So he saw her paychecks, and he saw that they were from the Black Lantern Inn. So he drove there, but it was closed. So he couldn't talk to anyone. So then he called a towing company to take the car to a local garage. So that's where the car went. Even though it was registered to her mom, Kelly, Kelly was never called when the vehicle was found or towed or anything. You would think that would be the first thing they would do is to notify the person who... I would think so too. I don't know the law on that. So Kelly had no idea. Even when Brianna went missing, she didn't know that the car had been found. So it wasn't until Thursday, March 25th, until the parents became aware of the abandoned car. Almost a week. After, you know, they went in, filed a police report, the Vermont State Police in St. Albans showed them a picture of the Oldsmobile found at the old Dutchburn house. And of course, they're like, yeah, of course, this is her car. And her mom, Kelly, said the sight of this photo struck a nerve immediately. She said, quote, she was instinctively revulsed by the photo. And she just had this gut feeling that someone else parked the car like this. Mm -hmm. It's just... It was too suspicious. It was too, something just. So after the authorities linked the abandoned car to Brianna, an extensive search was conducted in the area around the abandoned farm. There were search teams, scent tracking dogs, helicopters, and volunteers combing through the woods near where the car was found. But no one found anything. They did search inside the house, and they found some drug dealer paraphernalia and a gun, but it's an abandoned building, so... That wasn't too surprising to find. They didn't even think it necessarily had anything to do with her disappearance. A woman's fleece jacket was found in the field near where her car was left, but it didn't belong to her. Well, after word came out, several people came forward to say they had spotted Brianna's car the night she went missing. 
One witness claimed he drove by the barn sometime between 11.30 and 12.30 a.m. He noticed that the headlights were on, but he didn't see anyone in or around the car. Another person said he saw the turn signal flashing from the car between midnight and 12.30 that night. So Brianna's former boyfriend also saw her car. He had been partying in Canada. He was coming back from the party. He was driving home. He saw her car there around 4 a.m. And he wouldn't stop? Well, he said no one was there. It was just her car. A few people driving by passed her car the next morning. A couple of different people thought the way the car was backed into the house was so strange. They stopped, got out, and took pictures of this. They used one of those old disposable cameras. You know, we all had them back then. And they took pictures. You know, no iPhones, of course. But so those pictures actually ended up being better than the ones the police took. These people that just so happened to come in. and drive by. They developed them and it showed. I'll post these up. But the car just... And it is weird. It's just an old abandoned barn. And instead of the car being crashed in front ways, it's like someone just backed into it. It doesn't really make any sense. There's no reason you would do it because it's an open field. One of them said that when they were taking pictures, they noticed some loose change, a piece of jewelry, maybe a necklace or a bracelet, and a water bottle on the ground next to the car. The people who took the photo said they didn't touch anything. They just stopped and took the pictures. Well, in the beginning, the Vermont State Police weren't so sure that foul play was involved. They thought she was just a runaway. And you hear this so often, but I know it's so frustrating. Like, everybody does not run away. (laughs) No, it's like, let's just assume they're not runaways until further evidence. I don't know. Yeah. Her family did not think she simply ran away. They just couldn't get past, why would she leave her contact lenses? Her driver's license, her migraine medication, you know, uncashed paychecks. First of all, I'm not leaving uncashed paychecks mm-hmm. and a cigarette. <laughs> no. Right? Everything about it, nothing makes nothing sense. Nothing makes sense, no. And the way it was backed up, there's just... It's like someone's trying to hide it. Yeah, everything about the scene just seemed instinctively wrong. Mm-hmm. That's what Brianna's mom said. Mm-hmm. Well, Brianna's friends and family conducted their own searches of the area... They put up missing persons flyers across Vermont and nearby states. Her parents took matters into their own hands, and they followed leads across Vermont, New York, Quebec, and Connecticut. They even went to a strip club in Boston after receiving a call that Brianna was seen there. But it just was a case of mistaken identity. It was not her. So, you know, you kind of start thinking back of what happens when someone goes missing. Does she have any enemies? Has something happened recently? Well... Brianna did have an altercation three weeks before she went missing. Three weeks prior, Brianna was at a party with high school friends. Brianna was known as outgoing, and she liked getting attention. While one of her friends, named Keely LaCrosse, got mad at Brianna because she thought she was flirting with her boyfriend, even though Brianna was there with her boyfriend of the time. So Keely was pissed off, so Brianna just went outside and got to the passenger side of her boyfriend's truck. Well, Keely wasn't letting it go. She followed Brianna outside and knocked on the truck window. Brianna rolled it down thinking she just wanted to talk. Keely punched her in the face. In fact, she hit her multiple times while Brianna was just sitting in the truck. 
Brianna did not fight back. First of all, you're going to take my mic away. And didn't fight. No. No. Well, so her mom asked her, because she's trained in jujitsu. She's like, why didn't you fight back or why didn't you stop her? What's What happened? And she said, because I didn't want anyone to not like me. <gasps> it's just so... And then you have to remember, she's a 17-year-old. She's had problems with school. She was very self-conscious. So that's That just breaks my heart. That is very heartbreaking. She didn't want anyone to not like her. So I mean, she, I, I remember being that age and oh feeling like that. But now that I'm 40, I'm going to beat your ass and I don't care who likes me. <laughs> no. But that's... It's so terrible. It is terrible. So, yeah, she had two black eyes, a broken nose, and a concussion from this. It was so bad she had to be hospitalized. It's just it's a teenage girl fight, and she it's serious. It was so bad, one of her good friends encouraged her to file a complaint. I mean, being hospitalized, and and this was her friend, too. I'm like, That's not her friend. Gosh. Yeah. No, no, no. So a few weeks after Brianna's disappearance, Keeley was subpoenaed to testify about the disappearance. The complaint was subsequently dropped three weeks after Brianna's disappearance. And friends of Brianna said that Keeley was very smug about this. Bitch. Someone asked her, how's everything going with the charges? And she said something like, what charges? Brianna's not here. Oh, I don't like this Keeley girl. So, regardless, she was cleared of any involvement in her disappearance. But I don't like high school Keeley. I don't like high school girls, period. Oh my gosh, trauma. Yeah, Keeley was cleared. On March 20th, 2004, the Oldsmobile was processed by the Vermont State Crime Lab. Nothing indicated signs of a struggle. There wasn't blood spatter. Nothing was broken or disheveled inside the car. But they did eventually find DNA that did not belong to her. This finally convinced police that this disappearance was probably the result of some sort of foul play. Police had a tip line set up and they got all kinds of calls. And unfortunately, many were not helpful. All kinds of people call in. Just a week after Brianna's disappearance, the Vermont State Police received an anonymous tip claiming that she was being held against her will in a house in nearby Berkshire, Vermont, about 10 miles away from Montgomery. So this house belonged to two drug dealers from New York named Raymond Ryans and Nathaniel Jackson. So the house was raided by police on April 15, 2004. They found a lot of cocaine. A lot of marijuana, no Brianna. The police interviewed Brianna's close friends and did find out that Brianna had allegedly experimented with hard drugs in the recent past. She did marijuana and she confided in her friends and she said that she had tried crack cocaine recently. Yikes on a bike. Her friends say that she wasn't doing it regularly, but she had tried it at a party. She, I'm not judging anybody, right? but I just, I mean, I feel like you're That's at a, a party one. and you yeah. might like... Take a little hit off a joint or whatever. Mm-hmm. But just to be like, I'm going to smoke some crack cocaine. She was You gonna... just passed go and... Right. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, I get it. Like, it's it's a hard drug. It's, it's not marijuana. But she, her friends are basically saying she wasn't gotcha. a regular user. But she was an acquaintance of Raymond and Nathaniel. So Raymond and Nathaniel were arrested on drug charges. And the police hoped that the thought of prison time would get them to share what they knew if they did know something. But supposedly, Raymond cut a deal with the prosecution. He would tell them what he knew about Brianna for a lighter sentence. Neither the public nor Brianna's family were told what he offered. But he received 45 days, which equated to time served. 
I mean, I feel like people go to prison long or go to jail longer for just marijuana, no cocaine. Yeah. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. So as of now, neither men have been arrested in relation to Brianna's disappearance. But Raymond Ryan's choice to go to New York brings into question another theory. At the time of Brianna's disappearance, women were being taken from Vermont to New York and placed into the sex trafficking underbelly. Although there's no direct evidence that links this to Brianna, but it's just a speculation. And I really hope that's not what happened. Later that year, they received another anonymous tip from an older female who implicated that Raymond and Nathaniel had something to do with Brianna's disappearance. They insinuated that they murdered her. The signed affidavit alleges that Brianna was murdered by them approximately a week after she went missing. She said they murdered her during an argument over the money she had lent them to purchase crack and that her body was temporarily being stored in a basement of a recently incarcerated woman's house. She told them that her body was allegedly dismembered with a table saw and disposed of on a pig farm in hopes that the pigs would eat the body parts. Good lord! Yeah, so this woman signed an affidavit saying all of this, but law enforcement could not corroborate a single thing she said. This ultimately didn't lead anywhere. So this poor family received anonymous calls claiming she was at the bottom of a lake, that she was tied in the woods somewhere. Just what kind of sick individual makes up something and calls directly? The ugh, It's just, I know people do it so frequently. I don't get it. So in 2007, a flyer provided by the FBI stated that the scene at which Brianna's car was discovered may have been staged to appear as an accident. Like something happened and someone wanted it to look like a wreck. Brianna's parents publicly speculated that she may have been abducted by multiple people. Her parents really believed that it would have been difficult for a single person to subdue her. They didn't think she would have gone without a fight. One day, the family received a call from the parents of Maura Murray, wanting to offer their help and support. A lot of listeners, I'm sure, probably already know about this, but Maura Murray disappeared on the night of February 9th, 2004. After crashing her car on Route 112 in New Hampshire, she's never been found since. So, a month apart. Vermont, New Hampshire. A little close. So, in the beginning, they were thinking that they were linked. It sounds a little close. Yeah. Maura Murray's disappearance was probably one of my first deep dives into Mm -hmm. true crime. And I think because Maura Murray's happened first, just a month prior, Mm -hmm. her case got a lot of steam and attention because... Almost everyone knows about Maura Murray, Mm -hmm. and you haven't really heard as much about Brianna Maitland, you know? You would think it would be very, like, is this a serial killer? Right. Like, this fits the pattern of... Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, the police concluded that they did not believe the cases were related. It's about 90 miles in between these sites. I don't know what made them conclude that they weren't related. On February 12th in 2006, someone thought they saw Brianna at the Caesars World Casino in Atlantic City, New Jersey. There was grainy CCTV footage of a woman who kind of resembled Brianna sitting at a poker table with a bald man. Well, it's super grainy. It was never really conclusive, but whoever the woman was, she was never identified. Kelly, the mom at first, was thinking it could be her, and then... Someone clear, was able to clear it up a little bit, and she kind of decided she didn't think it was, but it was so grainy, it was honestly kind of hard to tell. 
So during another search of the wooded Montgomery area in October of 2007, a pair of weather jeans were found. This was approximately seven miles away from where Brianna's car was left, and this area had not been previously searched. But it's been three years, so could have just been someone else's, you know? Well, the jeans were sent to forensics labs, but the results of the test have never been publicly released. A team was created in 2008 to solely focus on Brianna's case. They conducted more interviews, but were given no new leads. So there are a lot of theories out there, but there's one that serial killer Israel Keys could be involved. I don't know. You don't think it is? No, I mean, it could be. I just think he's... mm -hmm. So in 2012, law enforcement did investigate a possible connection. They did rule him out in late December of 2012. Even though Israel Keys lived in Alaska, he did travel to Vermont on multiple occasions, and he owned properties in the Northeast. He also ended up admitting to killing Bill and Lorraine Courier of Essex, Vermont. He broke into their home on the night of June 8, 2011, and tied them up before driving them to an abandoned farmhouse, where he shot Bill before sexually assaulting and strangling Lorraine, and their bodies have never been found. In July of 2016, the house where Brianna's car was discovered was totally destroyed in a fire. So remember, they did find someone else's DNA in her car, but that wasn't even made public until March of 2016. The tests have never been publicly released, but just last year of September 2020, the Vermont State Police Major Crime Unit teamed up with the world's first private DNA lab called Othram Inc., So this lab was built to supply modern parallel sequencing with forensic evidence. Well, that shit's so fascinating to me. Yeah. Angela Baker has been the Vermont State Police lead detective on the case for the past four years and says there are tons of rumors surrounding the case. And that the the fact that there's such little evidence has made it even more difficult to solve. Detective Baker says despite the attention surrounding the case, she does still follow up on every lead. She's urging anyone with information to come forward and thinks the one person who knows something will be key in cracking the case. As for Bruce Maitland, he now supports other families who are searching for their loved ones, and he has his own private investigation foundation. The website is investigationsforthemissing.org. Vermont State Police tell us they have persons of interest in the case, but no identified suspects. And the case is still active today. I will post photos of her on social media, so everybody listening, even our Canadian listeners, check them out. Brianna is a white female with brown hair and hazel eyes. She's five foot five inches tall and weighed 118 pounds at the time of her disappearance. She has a scar on her forehead near her left eyebrow, and her left nostril is pierced. At the time, she typically wore a stud in it. She did wear contact lenses, but they were left in the car. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Brianna Maitland, please contact the Vermont State Police at 802-524-5993 or the State Police Crime Information tip line at 802-241-5355. You can also submit an anonymous tip by texting VTIPS to 274637. I'll put all that in the show notes in case anyone needs to come back and check that out. There's a disappeared episode about Brianna's case, which is really good. There are a lot of family interviews and stuff. 
her mom mainly, but season four, episode 11. Got a lot of my information from WCAX News, Stories of the Unsolved, NBC News, and Burlington Free Press. That's terrible that there's no nothing. But for there to be nothing, you know what I mean? Like nothing, no evidence, nothing left. I know. And it is a wooded area. Right. But you would think somebody would have stumbled upon a, a skeletal remain. You know what but, I mean? But I mean, Something. then you have Maura Murray. Where's her body? That's it's true. Just, people That's true. Can truly disappear. And <sighs> it's so strange that someone can just disappear mm-hmm. and you don't know what happened. That would be, I feel like, the most horrific thing for a parent is to just not know. And they're not giving up. They're still invested in this case. Yeah, they're not. It's so sad. So let's transition into your case. I mean, it's not going to get any better, but okay. I know. They never do. So my story is Melissa Jenkins. So Melissa was a 33-year-old school teacher in St. Johnsbury, Vermont. She was loved by her coworkers and students, but especially by her two-year-old son, Ty. She was a single mom, so along with teaching science at St. John's Academy and coaching girls basketball, she also worked part-time as a waitress. Winters in Vermont can be pretty tough with lots of snow, so when 30-year-old Alan Prue came with his snow plow, Melissa hired him to clean her driveway. I get it. Mm-hmm. I'm a single mom, and having to mow my yard is a pain in the ass. So if we had snow like that here. Oh, there's no way I'd. I would 100% hire mm-hmm. somebody. So Alan was instantly attracted to Melissa and kept asking her out. Even though he was married to his wife, Patricia. What? Yes. Melissa keeps turning him down. Ugh. And then one night he showed up drunk <gasps> in her driveway asking her if he could work for her the next year. She promptly says no and never hired him again for another snow removal. She's like, that's no. So Alan and his wife, Patricia, were looking for a third, as in a threesome. Right. But does she know he was basically harassing her to be the third? They wanted to spice up their marriage. There's sites for this. And expand their sexual horizons. Exactly. And they would go online to look for girls who then they would bring back to a camper for threesomes. I'm sorry. You and your camper. Hey, come to my camper and let's have a... No. I mean, I'm not going to... I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of nice campers, but if you're leading with, hey, do you want to come have sex with me and my wife in a camper... Mm-mm. To each their own, though. Whatever. So one Sunday night, they were riding around, and Alan got the idea to get a girl. Your face right now. Get? To get a girl. I don't like that. So Patricia calls Melissa and tells her they're having car trouble, and they're broke <gasps> down right by her house. Of course, Melissa's skeptical because of the previous oh, no. incidents with Alan, but... Melissa was a sweetheart and always wanted to help anyone in need. And she figured, you know, they must really be in a bond if they're calling me. You know, it's. So it's 830 and Melissa calls her ex-boyfriend and tells him basically, hey, they called and asked Mm -hmm. me for help. I just want to let you know where I'm at and where I'm going. And if if you don't hear from me in a couple hours. Come looking for me because something's, like even in her gut, she knew, okay, this is bizarre. He was a creep. He was a creeper. So she was like, okay, this is bizarre, but 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to go help them if they need help. So she takes two-year-old time, puts him in the car seat, takes off to help Alan and Patricia, who are stranded. So she pulls up where they are on Goss Hollow Road, which is a dark dirt road. Mm-hmm. Probably fucking goat man in the woods nearby. <laughs> Anyways. And she gets out to help them. Yeah. Alan attacks her, strangles her, and throws her in the back seat of their car. He proceeds to drive away. Patricia starts strangling her in the back seat again, making sure she's dead. Two-year-old Ty is left back in his mama's car in the car seat. Did they know he was there? No, I don't think. So his wife planned on attacking her, or did she she knew that was going to happen? Who knows? You know they're not going to be like, oh yeah, I knew for sure he was going to. So Alan and Patricia take Melissa to their house stripped her naked, Mm. laid her on a tarp, and sexually assaulted her naked body. She was dead at this point. Then they pour bleach all over her. They take their clothes and hers and burn them to destroy any evidence. Then they wrap her body in trash bags, drove to the Connecticut River where they tied cinder blocks to her body and throw her in. In the meantime, this has been a couple hours, obviously, that has passed. Oh my gosh, the poor baby. Ex-boyfriend hasn't heard from her, calling no answer, so he takes off and tries to find her. He finds her car on the side of the road, still idling with the heat on, and Ty was asleep in the backseat in his car seat. Thank God he was completely unharmed. Melissa is nowhere in sight but he sees one of her shoes laying in the road. So he calls 911 and police come right away. They find a black and red hat, boot prints and tire tracks that clearly a car had sped away and Melissa's smashed cell phone nearby. But there's no other evidence found at the scene. Melissa's body was found lodged in some brush the very next day by a passerby. A scuba team is called in because the water is so cold. Oh, yeah. So they take her body out. She shows signs of a struggle, strangulation. There's significant bruising on her body consistent with a stun gun. Cause of death was determined to be manual strangulation. So this was a very personal crime. Police did question the ex-boyfriend because... He's an ex. He's, an ex. Yeah. he's yeah. there. You know, who are, who are, how do they know that yeah. he's Makes not sense. the one who, yeah. Um, they ran his boots against the prince at the scene. He was ruled out. They questioned the baby's dad. He was ruled out. He was about 80 miles away working at the time. A special investigator who works with children was brought in to question two-year-old Ty. Aww. And he was able to tell them. There were two people. Oh, my gosh. And he grabbed his little throat and said, Mommy cried. Which makes me tear up even saying it. That poor baby. So police go to Melissa's house and they find that she has left the business card of Alan's snowplow service on the counter. She's a smart girl. Yeah. I mean, she told somebody where Mm -hmm. she was going. And if I'm not back and you don't Mm -hmm. hear from me, this is who I'm helping. So that, I mean... Do that, people. If you feel like something's amiss, I mean, I always call people and tell them what's going on. I got stung by a hornet on my ass and I called you to let you know if I die. (laughs) I got stung by a hornet. (laughs) I'm in my backyard with a white claw. 
I also put tobacco to on my butt cheeks. Did you really? Yes, because my grandmother hurt. used to do that. It doesn't hurt to let someone, to let know. someone know what's or like your Uber driver. Who does that look like? Or screenshot your date. Or also a good whatever. time to use the help you find. Yeah, that's true. Help you find dot me. So, anyways, so they go to her house. They find the police, or the police go to her house mm-hmm. and find the business card. Her ex confirmed that this is who Melissa had told him she was going to help. They get Melissa's phone records during the investigation and track one of the numbers down that belonged to a track phone, which had pinged off a cell tower close to the abduction site. These burner phones. Mm -hmm. They can be traced, Mm -hmm. losers. Don't (laughs) buy these to try to cheat on your spouse or murder somebody because they can be traced. Whoever started that rumor is a dummy. So they look into this and find out where this phone was purchased and by who? Patricia, mm-hmm. who wrote a personal check to buy this track phone. There was also surveillance video of them at the store and Alan has on the hat that was found at the scene. The fact that he's buying a track phone and all this, it, it tells me Patricia probably wife knew. bought the track yeah, phone. I mean, he was with her. Why do you her? need a track phone? So a few days later, get this, these two walk into the police station to make a report for identity theft. Oh, they say their checkbook was stolen. So if there's any any charges come in that are fraudulent, their checkbook was stolen. I mean, you can't make this shit up. If I was the secretary at that police station, I would say, do I look like I just fell off the turnip truck? Thank you. So the police officers confront them, and of course, they deny anything to do with the murder. They said they did know her vaguely because it sounded familiar, like maybe she was, you know, she was somebody that he could have possibly plowed her driveway, yada, yada. So they question them separately. Patricia denies everything. Even after they show her their surveillance, she's like, that's not me. Okay. She sticks to her story. Alan caves. He's crying. I don't want to go to jail. So they're both arrested and charged with second degree murder. Or they're held on charges of second degree murder. Let me rephrase that. They said they hadn't planned on using force, Mm -hmm. but gave very little detail about anything else that happened. Patricia first said she had nothing to do with it until... The search of her computer history showed she had, in fact, been searching how to kidnap a girl. What did Listen. you think was going to happen? Also, anyone listening, don't search Lacey's <laughs> history on her phone or her computer because I'm sure when you Google cases and things, well, yeah, things pop up. But hey, I have the case I talk about to prove it. There you go. Was she podcasting? I don't no. think so. No, she wasn't. She was trying to have threesomes God. in some shitty-ass camper but in Vermont. Just have a threesome with someone who wants to have a threesome with you. Don't... I guess that's Nobody. part of the Nobody twist wanted thrill. to have a threesome with these people. Gee, I wonder why. I mean, I, you'll see. They had also purchased a stun gun, and mm-hmm. she was the one the burner phone was traced back to. She was also the one who made the phone call to lure Melissa to the remote road that night, so... Jigs up, lady. Sorry, remote road, and you buy a, a track phone. No, you're, that's a plan. And a stun yeah. gun. Yeah, sorry, that's no, that's not just. Sorry, yeah, yeah. They no. knew she wasn't going to want to have sex with them. 
Alan said he was not guilty of anything other than bringing Patricia to Vermont. Because he moved her there after they met, so that's what he was guilty of. So Patricia pled guilty to the charges of aggravated attempted murder, kidnapping, and conspiracy. She was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. She also said, I just want to apologize personally for the fact that my husband wasn't strong enough human being to admit his wrongs and be able to take his rightful punishment willingly. That was quoted. What a good apology, Patricia. In other words, he's a big old pussy. Yeah, that was, that's what she said. Alan was sentenced to life for attempted kidnapping, concurrent with a sentence of 50 years to life for first-degree murder and five years for conspiracy to commit murder. Sorry, how old were they at this time? He was 30 and she was 33. So this couple basically became obsessed with Melissa and wanted her to be their playmate. And when she said hail to the gnaw, they killed her. So... It's so awful. They're monsters. They stalked her and then murdered her in front of her baby. I just cannot imagine as a mother what was going through her mind at that moment. Her, she knows she her kids She was probably there terrified for, for her child. Yeah. She probably thought, oh my God, Please they're going to kill get, my baby. Yeah, exactly. So the moral of the story is don't fucking help anybody. If you call me and you're broke down, I'm not helping you. I see it might be a trick. No, but in all seriousness, it's like... She trusted... He's with his wife. What's he going to do to me? He's with his wife. Right. And you feel safe. And so I get that. Mm-hmm. It just sucks. And they took advantage of someone that was willing to help. So there's an episode of American Detectives with my favorite Lieutenant Joe Kenda called oh, really? Hazard Lights. It's season one, episode three, if anybody wants to check it out. It's pretty good. American Detective? Mm-hmm. I mean, they... They did find her the very next day. I mean, there wasn't like your story, which is awful. Not that there's a silver lining in any of that, but it's all terrible. But yeah, she just went to help some. And you think, I mean, like you have a pool guy that's fixing to start working on your pool. And if he broke down close by and was like, Lacey, look, I'm in a bond and I'm broke down. Can you just come pick me up and just like take me somewhere to use a payphone or what? Who, Who knows what she told her? Yeah. I mean, you're a super nice person. You would probably be oh, like, thank you. you are, you're welcome. <laughs> but you would probably, I would think you would be like, sure, that, I'll be there in a second. And and you would go pick him up to take him yeah, somewhere. In that situation, yeah. If it's someone like that, because you don't feel like they're a stranger. You know what I mean? Right. It's almost like a false sense of security yeah. because they've been in your, yeah. they've been around you. They're, it's almost like, oh, well, if they were going to hurt me, they would have done it already. Yeah, why would they not hurt me in my house? Mm-hmm. Mm-mm, don't be fooled, people. So. Where I, on the other hand, would be like, I'm going to call a tow truck for you. Like, I'm not, Gosh. no. I'm not going to get out. Mm-mm. Does that make me a bad person? No. I'm always a skeptic. I trust nobody except cryptids and I would possession. never, <laughs> well, I mean, I would never pick up a hitchhiker or if strangers is like, strangers, no. I would never let a stranger in my vehicle ever, like, period. And that's the thing. It's like you think... You believe, let me rephrase that, that these people who have worked for you, mm-hmm. been in your home or around your home, like your pool guy. Yeah, I can see why she... Right. Even though okay, he may be a little weird. weird. Right, yeah. Right. I would probably... Mm-hmm. She didn't do anything right. wrong. No, no. And you, like you said, you get like a false sense of... Mm-hmm. And he's with his wife. Trust that, oh my gosh, his wife called me and they're broke <sighs> down together. 
be mindful lessons. Yeah. Don't here. always have to be nice. I'm never nice. That's why I'm alone. <laughs> Trust no one. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, anyways, where are we next week? I think Idaho. Oh, you're right? a hoe? Womp, womp, womp. Idaho. Idaho. We have a new patron. That's exciting. Heather. Heather. From Kansas. From Kansas. Thank you so much, Heather, for joining us in the Patreon world. I hope you're having fun in the Patreon world. In the Patreon world. Not, the, world not is, the world is a fucking dumpster fire yeah. right now. Yeah. Every time you turn on the news, it's just something worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what's happening. It's awful. It's, the world of true crime has been on its but, head. Bananas. Every day there's news. This this new Patreon episode that we're doing is going to be two hours long. So so for to- Patreon each month, we try to kind of give stories that are in the headlines. Or so this is going to be. Oof. It's going to be two hours long. Lacey made us a terrible drink tonight. Oh. Oh. Thanks, Nate, for sponsoring this cocktail that Lacey completely butchered. I didn't butcher it. Okay, so in. It was called an Old Vermont. I wanted something to fit the episode. Tasted like an old dish rag. Hey, maybe people like this. Sorry if you like If you've ever had this, I'm going to tell you, I followed this recipe. I used the measuring glass and everything. I followed all of the rules. Let me tell you what's in it real fast. Gin, maple syrup, lemon juice, two dashes of bitters, and orange peel. That's it. Simple. But it was... You just don't like herbal. I don't like an herbal drink. The bitter, so the bitters in the gin are probably what you didn't like about it, if I had to guess. It was a beautiful drink. It was very um, first day of fallish. It wasn't my favorite. It was very strong. I thought it was a little too lemon heavy, but it's. I, I'm not a gin drinker, though. Yeah. If you like. In my defense, herbally ginish yeah. drinks, then this is. Try the old Vermont. This is for you. It was easy to make, at least. It was beautiful. I, had all the I was super excited until it hit know, my tongue, and then yeah, I was like, "Very, very herbally." I think Samuel would love that drink. He loves bitters and gin. If it tastes and... like a, you know, potpourri, he's like, "Yes, <laughs> give me the potpourri in a bottle." Potpourri on he ice. Lo- yeah, he loves herbal drinks. <laughs> I'm okay with them in moderation. <sighs> but we have an exciting giveaway coming in October. We've already gotten some things compiled. There'll be bath bombs. There'll be coasters. There'll be glasses. There'll be... I'm ordering those bath bombs just for myself. <sighs> I'm not I'm not some, stealing the ones from the giveaway. I'm she has order some really own. cool ones. She has a Michael Myers one. The It Clown. I'm going to have to get on so here. What, what is her... Do you have it off the top of your head? Yeah. Is this an Etsy store? Yes. I'm Lacey's on top of all of this, you guys. I love a good small business. It's on Instagram if you want to see a sneak peek, but we have the uh, Jason Voorhees Bath Fizz. And the company on Etsy is called What the Fizz. 13 days of Halloween. So There's so much cool stuff. So we're just going to have a fun giveaway. It's our Christmas. <laughs> it's our favorite. It's, it's our most version of Christmas. I'm not singing. Lacey's the karaoke of this uh, of this duo. Anything else? Follow us on Instagram at United States of Murder, on Facebook and Twitter at US of M Podcast, on Patreon at patreon.com slash United States of Murder, or just go to our website, United States of Murder.com for everything. If you like us, leave us a review. If you don't like us, probably aren't listening still. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? I mean, I, if you get this far and you also, don't like it's, this. It, it's still, it's dark outside. You know, tonight's the season finale of American Horror Story Double Feature. Red Tide. I'm, I'm so Okay. And it's dark, and now I have. Ugh, now I'm, I'm slightly mad at you for wrapping me in, into it because I watched Charlie get your spin the night back. You're coming home with me because I have to watch this tonight. I'm I watched scared. it. It's it's. I can't. I don't think I can finish it. It's too disturbing. It's very. I'm not giving away any spoilers for anyone, but it's very dark psychologically. And I've been thinking about the last episode all week, and like I can't. I can't. I fast forwarded through half of it because it was just too much. That's ridiculous. Then you don't even know what the story's about. Well, I I read articles and I'm uh, I'm a complicated yours. You're a fair weather fan. I've been complaining that they're not scary and that they're cheesy. And then I get to and I'm like, okay, I'll start. And then it's just a 180. Too much. There's no pleasing. I had no adjustment. No pleasing. It's dark. I'm looking forward to the second half. Oh, you it's think like, it's going to get better? You know, no, it's no, no. Be a second, like the, the second other, story. The other story. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. You don't. You think it's going to be better? You don't think it's going to be as dark? No, just this specific plot line. There's, I don't know. This plot line's really disturbed me. Perhaps you should watch the Notebook. Ew. Just saying. Maybe, maybe you're more keen on love stories. Don't like love stories rather than vampires and. I like vampire stories. And That's rabbit thing. eating children. It's, <laughs> it's it's not the vampire part. It's I guess it's the betray like I just am getting mad. I'm getting mad at people. Her whole neck is red. <laughs> like the husband's pissed me off, the kids piss me off. I'm like, this these betray the betrayal. <laughs> the betrayal. You're too invested. This is a movie. This is a TV it's show. It's just like I'm so upsetting. I don't know. I don't like when I don't like betrayal. I don't like betrayal. Well, Anyway, on that note, before Lacey lots her hair on fire and Charlie's exhausted, I'll read the cliff notes tonight. I'll call and tell you about it. If if someone comes back and seeks revenge on the whole rest of the people, then I'll I might watch it. <laughs> I need revenge now. Oh lord! Anyway, so long. <laughs> Bye. Bye.